It looks like the travel curse has caught us once again, Sharice. You just what time need are we to recording stop. This at? Oh my god, twelve thirty-six a.m. on a Friday morning. It's even later in Tokyo right now. It's one thirty-six in Tokyo right now. But and, and, and why? Show must go on. They say it's my fault. This is my fault. This is my fault. I was in traffic this morning, but there's no excuse. I could have either left earlier or stayed over at the office if I thought it was going to be a should problem. Should have slept at the office. I really should have. Should've it would have solved office. a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, it's been a whirlwind of a last few hours for me. Do you want to talk about it? Needless to say. No, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Because... Okay. uh the incident, which I mean, if you if you follow if you follow Alex and I on Instagram, then you probably have a good understanding of what went down. Um, surprisingly, in chipper spirits, considering everything, I think this incident is a testament to Alex's character. You know, Alex is something very mature. He is like at the end of the day, they're just objects. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's this is. This happening tells us or shows us something about Alex. I mean, something we already knew, but you know, it's nice. But I think I think the candidness of our backseat taxi convo that we recorded on the fly, which I'm I'm pretty happy I had the the foresight to just turn on the mics. I and think just have you should just it. start recording all of the conversations you're in. Yeah, maybe. No, maybe. It's a joke. It's a joke. I don't want I only want to be recorded when I have when I have to be. So don't, don't take me for real. Okay. So if this yeah. is your first time tuning into making it up, we analyze and debate recent topics in creative culture while also trying to illustrate those things that are happening. The new structure is Eugene picks a topic. I, Sharice, pick a topic and we share our thoughts on that and question each other. So Eugene, yeah, you want to start? Mm-hmm. Before we start, this okay. is our 10th episode. Who would have thought we would have made it to 10? I feel like we deserve a pat on the back. Only because there was absolutely zero expectations when we started recording number one. And I think it was like, oh, let's just try it. And then I'm, I'm, you know, what's surprising is it's received quite a bit of good feedback from people that have listened to it. And I think it's been fun to see the improvement that we've both, we've both achieved. The improvements come down to both the format, audio quality, even just the way we articulate and I think the way that we approach this whole f- format. Something I find a little pretty interesting, I look forward to every week because it keeps you kind of sharp in the sense of coming up with arguments, how to structure your ways of thinking, what are things to be aware of. And I think there's a sense of critical thinking that we've always felt that was missing within creative culture, which had there been an abundance of critical thinking, I mean, this would have been less compelling to us. That's my take on it anyways. No, I agree. Doing this podcast is weirdly becoming a kind of learning for me. Like this activity is also teaching me a lot. I was told to start something like this a lot earlier, but I don't think I necessarily would have been able to do it without the appropriate co-host. And this is obviously... Shout out to you because I think you bring a dimension to it that actually makes it that actually makes it work. I don't think this would have worked just me talking about stuff by myself, and nor did I necessarily have someone in my sort of immediate vicinity that could do it. And this is like you know, ever since we started putting this together, it's kind of 
it's kind of been a nice, a nice surprise to see how well it's turned out. Thank you, Eugene. I like to imagine you monologuing to yourself for 45 minutes. No, that would suck. That would for real <laughs> suck. So what I want to share with you first is the topic of speed listening and podcasts. Does it work? Does it allow you to actually comprehend more information? Or does it actually have massive diminishing returns? While I read an article that outlined this, this whole concept, I've known about speed listening for a while just by virtue of the apps I use. Um, but the article originated from The Ringer. And they happened to... The Ringer is interesting because they, they're quite invested in the podcast space. They have a lot of their own podcasts. Obviously, Bill Simmons being the founder of The Ringer, he has a big background in podcasting. And the article itself outlined a recent study that that suggests that speed listening to podcasts has massive diminishing returns. So anything that you listen to at more than 1.5x speed is deemed to lose its retentive effects. And you're essentially sacrificing quality for quantity. You might feel good because you're listening to 5, 10, 12 podcasts a day at a point where you're maybe doubling up what it would be like if you listen to it at normal speed. But I think that's what's interesting is that topic in itself kind of brings to light that, hey, you know what? While we think we're getting more done, we're actually not. And um, there's another article that that surfaced at the end of July from the Chicago Tribune that asked a bunch of high-profile personalities their opinions on speed listening. These people like that are represented some of the, the who's who of the podcasting world all had their insights into it. And I think that was interesting is that a lot of people weren't necessarily against speed listening. I'll share this in um, the show notes, but for the most part, I think the general consensus was that if you're going to listen to an interview, there's something very conversational, the act of speeding it up isn't really all that big of a deal. I think people that are a bit more artistic in their craft and are very deliberate with the sound design, the sound effects, the pauses, all that stuff. And I think to an extent, you could equate that with a lot of our making stories, not necessarily making it up the podcast, but a lot of our audio stories where there's a lot of uh, deliberation over, oh, maybe that pause should be an extra second and a half mm-hmm. you know, for dramatic effect. I think those ones generally were deemed to be things that you should listen to in real time because there's a lot of thought that goes into that. Can I just add yeah. one thing from the Ringer article that I found interesting, which gives this some additional context, which is that in 2017, 112 million Americans, this is an estimation, listen to podcasts and around 42 million people listen to podcasts weekly, if not more frequently than that. So, I mean, if you are listening to this podcast, you're already a podcast listener, but we're also talking about this because it is a wider situation. Like this could be an actual problem that people are encountering, speed listening or not speed listening. Before we dive any deeper, I'll give you a little bit of insight into my listening habits. I tend to use Overcast. It has the ability to speed up the playback and not only speed up, but it removes some of that chipmunk effect you get. And there's also this really interesting added benefit where it's like this smart silence where when you're listening to something, it'll cut out all the silence so that you know if, if you and I are talking and I take 15 seconds to think about something, it will detect that silence and it will compress it. So it's just a constant stream of dialogue. Some people really hate it. When people hear me listen to my podcast, like, how do you listen to that? I'll give you guys some examples, starting off with 
playing back last week's podcast, making it up at 1x speed, which you'll hear here. documentary by FKA Twigs. Another thing too is they serve upwards of 5 billion impressions every year and mm-hmm. they dedicate 30% of that inventory as they yeah. call it towards advertising the arts. So yeah. while they're not necessarily giving up money. This is 1.5 for you to be successfully considered for this grant. So yep. some of the things like I'm not going to go over every single line item but it was it was along the lines of it must be digital music related. It cannot be a copy of an existing service app whatever it may be. It must be legal. So obviously nothing illegal. This is two. After thinking about this, I actually thought originally it was a free $10,000 gift, which changes a little bit my perspective okay. because there's now strings attached to it where you actually need to commit to applying yourself and making sure you have a relatively thought out idea, right? As opposed right. to like, hey, here's $10,000 and hopefully out of the goodness of your heart, you go and delay entering the workforce and try to innovate on something. Sort of along the lines of universal basic income. Right. For those who aren't familiar with universal basic income, it's this, it's this concept. And finally, this is three. Will have potential no job because they're being made redundant automation. I think successfully acquiring a grant is great on the basis that certain things a lot of it comes out of risk But like, are you willing to step out and take a risk? And $10,000 that could be in many ways that's like for a pretty, you know, above average salary, you know, above average salary, that's about two months' pay. Yeah, no, that's not a guess. But that's not going out and finding other revenue streams, right? Yeah. So, so this is just like, hey, I'm being supported to do something on the side. Yeah, we transfer the target. I sort of mentioned this in the PDF document too. The target audience out of those 173 other employees is not every single one of them. Because one of them is not worth money and I'm sure they're uh, percentage of that So some of you will listen to this and be like, man, how do you listen to that? And honestly, for me, it's it really is de- dependent on what I'm listening to. If I'm listening to a story or a narrative, yeah, I'm definitely not going to listen to it at 3x speed. And I'm I'm not often listening to things at 3x speed because I agree it's you have to actually focus. Like you can't be in the middle of doing something. You actually need to be really focused on listening to the podcast in itself. But to turn things over to you, Shreese, how do you listen to your podcast? And are you for or against speeding up podcasts? I have never tried listening to any of my podcasts at more than regular speed. And the reason I am not, I am not anti speed listening and I do not judge you for your podcast listening habits. You are free to do what you want. The reason why I listen to things at one X speed is because I commute over an hour every day. Actually, I commute over an hour to get into the city and then I commute over an hour to get back home. So at one X speed, if the podcast is 20 minutes, I can listen to three episodes. Even if it's like 45, I can listen to one and a half. I have no actual need to listen at greater than 1x speed. And also, I tend to listen to podcasts for relaxation, like not for I don't I'm not usually educational listening. purposes. Exactly. I'm not trying to cram information into my brain even though I do listen to some podcasts that are more informational, I'm still not listening to them in order to like quickly gain knowledge. I am listening to it as a leisure activity and I find the regular speed to be the most relaxing speed. What I, what I was, when I was thinking about this and thinking about the t- potential angles to attack this, this question, I was thinking to myself, is this, is speed listening a good way to vet out podcasts? You know, like if you, if you get put onto a new podcast, can you get a pretty good understanding, you know, dedicate, let's say five minutes, which is in reality, 10 minutes of the podcast Mm -hmm. by speeding it up and then determining, Hey, you know what, within those five or 10 minutes, Oh, you know what? I actually don't like this. Yeah. Um, That's one way. That's one thing I thought would be useful to use speed listening. Another thing too, is that, and maybe this is indicative of a bigger problem and it, there's two different ways of looking at it. Number one, do we currently have adequate ways of 
of searching out podcasts to know what's good and what's not. And two, are we as media consumers, what will it look like in five years when you have five years of podcasting, I guess, consumption experience under your belt and you're slowly going to add more and more podcasts? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how long you've been listening to podcasts. Um, let's, let's pick an arbitrary number where let's say you've been listening to podcasts for a year, 12 months. Obviously now it, it might be a little bit more manageable to listen to all the podcasts you want to listen to, but I can only imagine over the course of the, the lifeline of podcasts in general, you're going to have more and more stuff creep up. And I think you're going to have bloat. You know, you're going to get to a point where like, oh man, I'm going to have more and more podcasts in my queue. How do I get through them? Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily about having speed listening solve that, but I think it's indicative of a larger problem of how we consume media. I thought it was particularly interesting to me when one of the articles was comparing speed listening to speed reading. And I have no problems with speed reading and I consume written material very quickly and much more quickly than I consume material that I listen to. If there is something I can only obtain through listening that I couldn't obtain through reading in the media landscape five years from now, which could be a possibility. If podcast listeners continue to uh, exponentially increase and publishers start to feel like, oh, um, Doing a podcast is less time and effort to create a high quality product vs. a written product, then I might have to start listening at higher speeds in order to consume the information that I would be reading otherwise. Did that make sense? I'm sorry. It's So let me confirm. It's if if there happens to be a moment in time where high quality content migrates to audio formats and you by virtue being a fast reader need to find a way to kind of consume your information, you might need to adopt speed listening. Yeah. Yeah, I can picture that happening. Or maybe I'm not even, maybe I am not optimizing my media consumption well enough yet. And actually the material I read is already available for listening and I just haven't found it yet. Can you try over the course of next week to just speed listen and report back with your thoughts. Okay. And I'm not saying you have to There's listen to like things. There's like one at- thing I'm worried about though. It's like, I'm not, I am willing to try this. Right. But one of the articles said, you can't go back. Like if you start listening at 1.25, 1.52, when you go back to one, it just sounds like people take forever to talk. Why is that a bad thing though? What if it keeps, wait, wait, but what if it keeps me from appreciating Stories that are very carefully designed in terms of audio. I mean, just practice what I do, that whole black and white thing where if it's going to be an audio narrative, you listen to you listen to it at 1x. But do you ever and find yourself impatient? No, because I, I think I've set my expectations accordingly where if this is going to be something that has amazing sound design. So for example, one of the podcasts that I listen to at slower speeds, if not 1x, maybe 1.25, 1.5 is is 20,000 hertz because I really appreciate the sound design. And, you know, those are, those are things to me that it's clear I've outlined the expectations for myself and that makes it enjoyable. Whereas, you know, I don't know if you listen to any podcasts that are in excess of like 60, 60 minutes, right? Like Matt? Not really. Yeah. Like I think that maybe is another difference. If you start having these like 
Joe Rogan or these Bill Simmons podcasts that start going, start creeping into the 80, you know, 80 minute range or beyond. You're like, man, this is a lot of time to spend on this one topic where it, at that point in time, like, it's not that it's bad. It's just like, I think I can, I can accelerate how I'm processing the information. It's true. Part of it's training yourself. That's why I think that speed listening is just a way for us to improve on how we process digital information or information in general. Like, I don't think there's, I don't think it should be ever looked upon as a bad thing in any capacity. It's kind of like, is it bad for you to be able to, to do your multiplication table faster? I mean, that was probably the worst, most Asian example I could give, But, but I don't see any downfall in that. But don't you think that Elphick's feelings would be really hurt but hearing then, you say again, this? It, no, because that goes back into my whole thing. Like, I'm, but like, what if people? What if people do listen to the making audio stories at two x? Because you just said, you know, whatever works for you is the way you should do it. I mean, I think there's a there's a way that you can suggest how something's listened to, and I think it's like building in those moments. Hey, you know, this is a this is a piece of content that you should listen to under these conditions because it might create the best experience. But at the end of the day, like I'm more than happy you're listening to it more so than you're trying to figure out, oh, should I, is this compromising the the artistic intent of this if I'm listening to it at 2x speed? That's a non-issue to me. Okay, so I have not done extensive speed listening, so I can't say what the the effect on your ears is. But I also think the reason why speed reading is more acceptable than speed listening is because generally people think that speed listening sounds bad. Like even when it's just people talking, like me and you. Sped up two times, we sound like chipmunks, like you said, or animaniacs. No, no, no. Um, if it's done properly, they can actually they can actually control the pitch and whatnot. So you, you actually don't have that chipmunk effect. Well, it's not that strong anyways. But I mean, you become desensitized to it. So I think this is wow, like a very- Wow, that- that's a great argument for speed listening. After a while, you become numb to the bad sounds in your ear. Well, it just doesn't sound bad to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Bloomberg, the founder of Gimlet Media in the Chicago Tribune article, he made the point that if we've ever heard something in a podcast that totally floored us, like we listened and we're like, oh yeah, like had a light bulb moment, it was probably on regular speed. And so that's an argument for like the effect of something on regular speed is stronger. I'm trying to think of the last time I had that moment. Maybe it doesn't happen to you because you only listen on 2X. Tell you what, let's, let's, let's do this. For the, next, for the next week, I'll listen to everything at 1X speed and you have to listen to everything at 2X speed. For the next week? And then we'll come back. Yeah, for the next week. Do we have to listen to like a set number of podcasts? Because I could just cheat and listen to. Yeah, do your regular podcast diet. We'll update everyone in a week on how this experiment went. Do I sound reluctant? I didn't mean to. I am so excited. (sighs) Yeah, just try it out and then report back. Tell me what piqued your interest over the course of the last seven days, Sharice. Yeah, for sure. So the New York Times did an article on how memes are more than for entertainment. 
and they're being financially supported by political parties. Um, it's no surprise that political parties give money to advertising and other media distributors that you might not expect because this is not something that people want to know, right? Like that specific political parties are using dollars to influence what we're consuming, but that's a reality. Uh, what's different, I guess, like what the shift is, is that they are looking into quote unquote viral media because they've start, suddenly seen the light of how things on the internet are more shareable. So some parties, like some, I don't know what to call them, media distributors that have come up are- I think it's more than accurate to call them a media company. It's just they specialize. Just like you have a media company that specializes in podcasts, you have a media company that specializes in memes. It's just so funny to call them media companies because like the New York Times is a media company and I'm about to tell you that Occupy Democrats, the other 98% and Milo Inc. are also media companies. But so be it. Okay. Um, and they open Facebook pages, Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts, whatever it is, in order to try and propagate political ideas in the form of memes that could potentially reach millions of people if it catches on. Why did this end up being your topic of the week? A meme is not a thing that is created in a manner that is fair or moderate. Like if Can you, you give me an example? If you or I yeah. were trying to make a meme, you would try to make it as extreme as possible in order to make it shareable because that's the kind of stuff that is shareable. Like it has to be really funny or really crude or just has a large emotional impact and things that are large emotional impacts are not moderate. So that makes me worried that by going into memification, you know, these political parties are pushing us increasingly towards not giving our time to fair considered content. Do you think memes versus fake news should be assessed differently? Because I think with memes, there's a sense of like, there's a comedic effect in play, right? Whereas fake news is obviously things that could be very serious. They're just twisted and manipulated a, a certain way. Right. Do you view them similarly or in a different light? I view them differently. You asked me for an example while I was going on my tangent about why memes are bad. One example from the New York Times website that is an image from Milo Inc., shows Donald Trump on the left and then Ellen from the Ellen show on the right. The text below the two portraits reads, sir, I do not want to be on your show. So the joke here, supposed joke here, is that Donald is calling Ellen, sir. Literally, that's the entire joke. I'm not saying it's funny. I'm just explaining why yeah. they would think this is a meme. It's not fake news because it's not even news. It's a fabrication of popular figures. And then fake news would be something that you were genuinely trying to pass off as what happened, right? Like even Milo Inc. is not trying to pass this off as something that actually happened. It's just making fun of Ellen. I think that's the difference. and. I can see the difference. I think both are, 
both are harmful, but in different ways. I actually think that this investment in meme, these meme companies is perhaps overstated or blown out of proportion. I think it's interesting that the money is flowing there, but the reality of it is, and you could push back on this, do you think a meme is really going to sway someone and their political agenda? If not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly of the belief that I don't think a meme is necessarily going to push you either or. You know, it's going to, it's literally something that keeps you entertained. And I think there's the underlying motive here is creating these broad and massive, wide sweeping political followings as a financial vehicle for other things, especially based on the way the algorithm works on a lot of the places these things appear. Maybe not Twitter because the algorithm's a little bit different, but in general, it's, it's going to be within the filter bubble anyways. So it doesn't really have, it's being weaponized, but not really. I think it's blown out of proportion. I do think that the Times article is a little bit weak on examples of big politic, big donors that are investing in these small media companies. So no, I, I, I think you're right. Like, I don't think there's that much money going in, though any amount of money is still concerning to me. I think the negative effect is that this is yet another tool for parties to become increasingly divisive. This might actually be a symptom more than a cause. Like is a symptom of a culture that is increasingly divided into hard lines. It's very hard. It's difficult for people to have a variety of views. And it has to be, if you're liberal, you think this, this, this. If you're conservative, you think X, Y, Z. And these memes just sort of solidify that. It's a way to rally like-minded people increasingly in the same group. Maybe that's what makes me uncomfortable is seeing how far we've come in culture, like how far away we've come from having fair conversations where we can disagree with one another, that we are making memes that will only ever get shared to people who think the same as you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And you can laugh over the same dumb jokes. Yeah. You go ahead. It's really funny you bring, it's really funny you bring this up because when I was deliberating over my topic, the other choice I wanted to highlight, my other choice for my topic was the one that spoke about our inability to challenge one another based off our thoughts. So it's like, if you don't fall within a certain opinion, then you're immediately tossed off to the side or you're immediately called out. And we don't really have an opportunity to dialogue over these differences of opinions. You know, as you mentioned, like, I think there's a very black and white way of looking at things and there's nothing in between. And the in-between I think is what's most fascinating because the in-between is the area I feel where people can step up to the plate and be challenged in their thoughts under the assumption that they don't necessarily know if they're right or wrong, if it's even open for discussion. Because anytime you enter that gray area, it feels as though you're giving up perspective or control, right? You're kind of seen as being weak because you don't know exactly what you stand for. I don't think the world is so simple that you can see things lined up one after another in a very concise way. There's going to be things that are really messy that we sometimes want to work through, 
you know, and this kind of, this ties a little bit into that whole sort of Google rant that someone put out and he got in a lot of trouble for it. He was calling out, you know, the biological differences between women engineers and male engineers. And I'm not going to go too much into it. I'll share it in the show notes. But the interesting takeaway was that if you don't have an opinion that aligns with what other people, like the popular opinion is, immediately you get chastised. And you can't, you can't even enter a, a point of discussion. And maybe it's maybe the guy who, who put out this rant was potentially not communicating in the right way. But obviously, he felt a certain way about it. But is it possible for us to talk about it? Maybe bring to light some of the things you're thinking and help him understand and or help people around him understand. I, I understand what you're saying about the Google manifesto. And while I completely disagree with the content in that manifesto, I understand what you are saying about our inability to have detailed conversations about things that are more than just black or white. Regarding the Google manifesto, yeah. it's, it should never even have been written or distributed. But perhaps the author did not know the right way to have a fair, civilized conversation about it with people that he felt like would listen and give feedback. And by putting it out there in such a public way, the only effect is to bring people who are on your side closer to your side and alienate people who are not on your side. It's really hard when something comes out like this for me or for you to talk about it in a way that's not just like, oh, I'm for what he said or against what he said, but like there was maybe this tiny inkling of a point or maybe we all need to just sit down in a room together and have a discussion rather than being like, I never want to talk to tech bros again. Like that's not very helpful either, right? It's relevant because it's on the wider topic of people having to side with one thing or another. Yeah. Like we just, we fall into categories now. And then you assume that that category means that you believe a certain thing. And there's no gradient, right? I mean, I think us having this podcast is a good reaction to this culture. Like you and I taking the time to challenge one another to have honest opinions and be willing to be wrong is a step in the right direction. To tie it all together, the, when it comes to thinking and how we, how we approach philosophy, it's like, it's very black or white. There's no, there's no gradient. In this day and age, one of the worst things someone can call you is a hypocrite, perhaps. That lends itself to problematic things because we feel we need to take hard stances on everything. Mm -hmm. And that we can't change it and that we can't be wrong. Like we can't change our mind again. I think it's a combination of needing to project a sense of perfection alongside with the need for us to just generally be understood. Once you start having different ways of looking at different things, I think it becomes very messy. And there's a way that people are approaching you know, the world around them in these absolutes that might make life a little easier. But the reality of it is like, things don't always operate like that, right? I always question myself. I'm like, man, am I, 
does my agenda line up in every single capacity? You know, like is let's just make this up, right? Is the way I look at job creation the same as I look at taxation, the same I look at social benefits, the way I look at, I don't know, art and culture. Like I feel there's there's definitely things pulled from different parts of the political spectrum. And I find that fascinating because I think there's different solutions for different problems. You know, not everything is within the same spectrum for solutions because different problems are further along than others. Some are new, some are like in the beginning stages of potentially bubbling up and they're not really a massive problem yet. So it just really comes down to allowing us to figure out what that means. Right. And I think that's, that's a, that's the most critical thing is create an opportunity where we can talk about things, you know, make me, make me not feel stupid, but make me think about whether my philosophy or the way I think about a problem and how I approach it is correct or incorrect. I think that's a good place to end things. We've said it before, but we're going to say it again. Please do email us at eugene at macon.com or Sharice, C-H-A-R-I-S at macon.com. And we welcome your critical feedback. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon and its membership opportunities, you can head over to macon.com where you'll experience more stories based on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can also subscribe to us to wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sharice. I'm Eugene. And this is Making It Up.